You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1341 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's podcast is brought to you by PrizePix. First time users can have 100% this deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepix.com, promo code locked on. And I should also tell you at the top of the podcast that today's show and all of the shows can be found across podcast platforms. And we encourage you to make us your first listen each and every day on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or Stitcher, or even on the video side over at YouTube. And today's show will be myself kind of breaking down what became a very strange game. Also a nice win for the Hawks in the end. The Hawks win this game by a final score of 112-99 up in New York at MSG against the Knicks. Um, and if that's all you knew, it would be pretty normal. You know, the Hawks were underdogs slightly in this one, but they certainly are capable of winning against a team that I think they're better than in the Knicks. But if I then told you the Hawks were down by 23 points, in the first half, it'd be a little bit weird. So the Hawks trailed 51 to 28 after 17 minutes of action. Bad defense, bad offense, bad everything for the first quarter, almost quarter and a half of the game. And then from that point forward, it was 84 to 48 in favor of Atlanta, totally changing the game. DeJounte Murray was the story of the night, had a career best 36 points. We'll come back to him later on in the show, but he was certainly storyline number one for Atlanta beyond the fact they just turned the game around in the middle of it. But um, definitely a, a mixed bag on some level. At the end, it's certainly a nice result and also a nice result for the road trip going three and two. Anytime you can have a winning road trip that's that long and faces some, de- some pretty decent teams, that's not too bad of a result. And while uh, there was lots of frustration in the first half, it was uh, definitely evaporating over the course of the game on the way to a win. So as we always do on the podcast, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. And what we do here is dive into the game itself, kind of uh, the pregame context, the way that the game flow certainly went, some takeaways, some of the numbers and all that fun stuff, and then it's some player evaluations at the end of the podcast. But we'll get into this one a little bit more here at the top. And you know, actually, I did a a mailbag podcast that I should at least plug on um, so on Tuesday evening into Wednesday. At the end of that show, um, by the way, the whole thing is worth listening to still. It's still very much relevant at this point. But I did a, a pretty extended Knicks preview, like a seven or eight minute Knicks preview. So I'm not going to be too much about that game pre sort of pregame stuff coming in. But the Knicks were in a weird spot in which they were three and three, but they were three and zero at home, three and zero, sorry, zero and three on the road, and they had beaten three bad teams and lost to three good teams. So it was like this very interesting, um, very symmetrical profile from the Knicks. And uh, they actually got a couple guys back in this one. Cam Reddish, old friend, who was listed as questionable on this one, actually made his first time he's ever played against the Hawks in his career because the la- last year he was not playing for the Knicks when they were playing the Hawks in the second half of the season. So good to see an old friend there. And then Quentin Grimes made his season debut before the Knicks in this one late in the game. The Hawks had a, a question on the injury report coming in. Okongwu was listed as questionable with the left shoulder soreness. He left the game, of course, on Monday with uh, with some visible some visible pain. Ended up playing and uh, sort of the sort of left a, a question that was unanswered at this point because we were kind of wondering aloud what it might look like if the Hawks did not have uh, one of their players. But later in this game, we actually found out a little bit more about that with Trey Young missing some time. But anyway. Only Bogey out for the Hawks, and really Bogey was the only guy out for either team in this spot. The Hawks, as I mentioned before, were underdogs in this game, but online our friends over there made the Hawks about a two-and-a-half-point underdog at the start of the contest. Not a huge surprise. I think, again, I think the Hawks are better than the Knicks, but with home court and the very end of a road trip, 
not a whole, not, not a huge surprise to me that the Hawks were underdogs in this game. I would have picked the Hawks narrowly, as I said on the show on Tuesday, if Akongwu played, and he did. So I would have gone that way, but still not like a crazy out of the ordinary line in my mind coming into the night. But um, basically, I was asking some questions before the game started, like who was going to win these battles? Like one of them was ball security, because both these teams are really awesome in taking care of the ball traditionally the last couple of years. One of them. Um, also was rebounding, and the Hawks ended up winning both of those. That wasn't the whole story of the game, but that was certainly uh, two of the bigger details in this one in my mind. But the Hawks, as I mentioned before, really, really bad for most of the first quarter and a half of this game. They missed their first six shots. They trailed 5 nothing. Capella had three offensive rebounds in the first uh, couple of minutes. Third one was the only bucket, uh, sort of the first bucket of the game for the Hawks. Had a nice little bounce pass to John Collins for a uh, for a dunk. But Capella had a truly horrible miss at the rim on a putback attempt. And that was kind of a microcosm of the Hawks shooting. Uh, we'll come back to it. But the Hawks were like 9 of 37 at one point from the floor in this one. It was just like a complete disaster of shot making. And by the way, the Knicks had a similar drought in the second half. So like anytime you have that kind of shooting drought in the NBA in particular, it's defense and offense. Like you can't just be responsible for that on your own. Every, you know, every NBA defense is, has quality options on it. Um, but yeah, kind of a perfect storm there on both sides there. Um, Murray was guarding Jalen Brunson, as you might expect, with Trey kind of hiding on Evan Fournier in the early going. The Hawks had one run in the first quarter of a 7-0 little push, took the lead. They were going after Jalen Brunson, who had two fouls, and he's a pretty vulnerable defender. Like, Brunson's definitely a tough guy, but he is small and he is targetable. Not quite on the, on the same level as Trey, but certainly not someone that you're going to be able to uh, avoid if you are the Knicks from like at least trying to hide strategically. Rotation-wise, very similar to the normal stuff from Atlanta, at least until the second half when Trey had to leave the game. But um, Okongwu early on, the only thing that was a little bit different from Wednesday compared to Monday was that in Monday's game, I speculated this, that it was sort of matchup-related. They brought A.J. Griffin in before Aaron Holiday on Monday because of the fact that the Raptors just kind of had nowhere to hide for Aaron Holiday defensively. It was back to the normal rotation with Aaron Holiday playing more. In the first half, the bench was very bad. It was better in the second half for sure. And the Griffin ended up playing, but only because, um, at least some, because they were trying to kind of, kind of juice the offense a little bit later on. But, um, you know, generally speaking, fairly normal stuff on the rotation side. Defensively, the Hawks were not buttoned up early in this game. You know, the Knicks were shooting the ball very well, but the Hawks were giving up a lot of penetration, lots of breakdowns on the perimeter, making life difficult on a Kongwu and Capella at the back line. They're sort of having to overhelp and the kind of as the traditional Hawks breakdowns that they've had in the last couple of seasons. They tried some zone. It was pretty ineffective the first time around. I thought it was much better later in the game, which also was echoed by Nick McMillan after the game. He sort of credited the zone for some of the turnaround. That's probably a little bit overstated for me, but at least it worked a little bit later on in the game. On offense, this was my friend Glenn Willis's point on Twitter that I thought he was right about. But um, you know, Dejounte Murray had some passing issues early in this one that were kind of reticent of the rest of the season so far. At least reminded of of that, not in a bad way. He's still a really good passer, but he doesn't have that same pick and roll connection with, in particular, Capella. But even with the Kongwu and Collins that Trey Young has, that's just kind of something you have to have reps on. So no, no real concerns there. But Dejounte loves bounce passes in a way that Trey loves lobs, and because the guys are used to catching Trey Lobs, bounce passes are a little bit more difficult, especially for guys like Capella who are not used to that. So that's just something to note looking forward. But um, what really came, sort of the wheels came off for the Hawks for about like a seven or eight minute period was late in the first quarter. It was a 14-0 run by the Knicks. There was an awful turnover by Aaron Holiday. Trey Young missed four straight shots during that offensive outage. In a wild twist, the the first bucket after that was actually Clint Capella's most difficult shot of the night. Probably took this like weird hook shot that he had, ended up making, but um, that was kind of it. The Hawks only had two points in the last four and a half minutes. This is a crazy stat. Trey Young 
missed eight shots in the last four minutes of the first quarter. Um, it was just like a perfect storm. They, they weren't like terrible shots. They weren't great either, but he was two of 12 in the opening period. He was not alone either. There was definitely a lot of other guys missing shots. The Hawks were down by 11 and honestly fortunate to be down by 11 because they were eight of 30 in the first half, sorry, in the first quarter of this one, plus four of seven at the line, comically bad shooting. And, uh, you know, basically that's kind of the story of the first quarter. Like they weren't playing all that well, but the shooting, like you can't fake eight for 30. That's just kind of a ridiculous number. And it actually got worse. In the second, the Knicks had a 12 to three run to open things up. It was a 26 to five overall run by New York and the Hawks were down by 20 in a hurry. They had five points in an eight minute stretch between the end of the first quarter and the beginning of the second quarter. And as I said before, the Hawks were 9 of 37 from the field in the first, like, 15 and a half, 16 minutes of the game. The bench unit was just dreadful. Um, they got nothing at all early on from either one of the holidays or Jalen Johnson. Those guys were all bleeding. Now, again, everyone played poorly other than, other than Murray in the first half. I would say almost everyone played badly, but especially when the holidays and Jalen were on the floor, they just got absolutely killed. Um, they went to Edge Griffin with eight minutes left in the first half, and this is the first – stint of the season where John Collins played center in a competitive portion. So there were two instances in this game. The other one, the other one was later on with Trey having to be forced out. They played without Trey or DeJounte in a rotation setting. But in the first half, it was not because of injuries because the Hawks were getting just nothing going on offense. Uh, it felt like a desperation ish kind of thing from Nate, but I also kind of liked it because they were just, they couldn't score. They went to AJ Griffin basically in place of a center and they played Collins at the five with Hunter at the four, Griffin and then uh, the perimeter guys of, uh, of Trey and DeJounte. And like, that's obviously focused on juicing the offense. I will say that's a group that's not going to be able to stop anyone. Um, not necessarily because of AJ it's because, you know, Collins at center. I've always thought, I think Collins is now at least a, I, I think he's above average, but certainly at least an average defender at the four. But if you put Collins at the five, he's below average. You put Hunter at the four, he's below average. AJ Griffin as a rookie right now is definitely below average up the three. And then you throw in Trey Young and like Murray's a good defender, but he can't fix everything. That, that unit's not going to be able to stop anybody. So you're looking to, you're looking to sort of increase the variance, maybe score a bunch. I didn't mind it, but that was certainly sort of an indication of how bad the offense was going because that Nate went to that lineup. Um, they finally got it going a little bit after all of that. They were down again, 51 to 28. But DeJounte Murray, as he did throughout the game, he was truly awesome in this one. He got it going and put it on, put them on his back at different times. He hit back-to-back threes that were desperately needed uh, to sort of kickstart things. They forced it, forced a timeout from the Knicks. He had another one later later on in that run. Uh, it was a 13-2 push overall from Atlanta. He found Capella for a nice feed for a dunk. He had a steal on his own and a run out for a dunk. And Murray had 23 of the first 47 points for the Hawks. He was nine of 14 from the floor, from the floor, and the rest of the team was nine of 36. So you know the Hawks had taken 50 50 shots at that point. They had made 18 field goals. Murray had half of them, and he, and he only taken uh, 14 of the 50 shots. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of Murray and basically nobody else early on. They stayed with Griffin for a little bit longer. And, in fact, when they brought Capella back in, more of a traditional lineup, although it was a little bit of a – because they had tweaked with the rotation a little bit before that, they actually played Hunter and Griffin together at the four and the three for a little while. It didn't work all that well, but it was certainly worth noting that it actually happened. Trey finally woke up as well. Uh, to kind of join Murray late in that first half. He hit two threes in a nice floater in the last two minutes or so. He was four or five in the second quarter after he was two of 12 in the first. There was a 12-possession span at the end of the first half where the Hawks scored 11 of the 12 times, and it was basically entirely pushed by Trey and Murray. Now, that's going to happen a lot. Those two guys have the ball in their hands quite a bit, but it was stark in that, st- in, that, in that stretch how important and how involved they actually were. Both guys, by the way, played 20 minutes in the first half of a game 
in November. Now that's too many, probably uh, just big picture, but obviously Nate was just trying to get anything going. And because they finally found traction, there was no reason to kind of pull those guys at that point in time. They get into the, they get into the halftime break down only, only eight. And that was a huge win after all of what transpired. They had a 106 offensive rating in the half. That's obviously very brutal. They did take care of the ball throughout the game, especially in the second half. And they won, and they won the glass as well, kind of boosting that up and kind of overcoming the bad shooting. Uh, Murray had a, or sorry, Murray tied a career high with 23 points in the first half, had three steals. It was great. Defensively, it was a lot of it was like for me, fueled by the bad offense. The Knicks were almost always, at least in semi transition, they were just like playing very freely because the Hawks just could not score. But New York also, they also shot the ball very well in that first half. 16 assists in the Knicks is a ton and a half of basketball. So uh, it wasn't always pretty, that's for sure, for the Hawks in the first half. But it was kind of an underrated part of the game that the Hawks were able to cut the lead from the Knicks down from 23 to eight by halftime. And that's at the stage for the awesome second half. And we'll get into all that in a second, I promise you. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option in the NBA or anything else this year, check out the warming app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing on Prize Picks for quite some time across sports, and I really enjoy the daily grind going through all of the numbers. All you do is pick two to five players and weigh in whether they have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or steals or anything else that you want to look at at the NBA level. And what up to 10 times on any entry, and that's a lot of fun, of course. You are, going, you are not going against other people either. It's actually you against the projected numbers. Prizes also offers numbers on any sport you're, that you actually might enjoy beyond the NBA. Of course, it includes the NBA, but you have college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA. They have soccer and esports and NASCAR and tennis, MMA. They have boxing, cricket, and much more. And an entry can be done in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy and that quick. And Prospects has safe Everything, basically, plus fast withdrawals. They're operating in more than 30 states. That includes Georgia. And they are also operating in Canada at this point. Download the PrizePix app or go to PrizePix.com to sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports right now today. And first-time users have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100 and match it up to 100%. $50, $50, all the – kind of however much you want to give into the PrizePix setup – they will match it up to $100, 100% across the board with an instant deposit match. But don't forget to enter our promo code, and that promo code is locked on. Sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. Okay, and the second half, obviously much better than the first for Atlanta. And the third quarter was the big swing. So I do think the end of the second quarter was a huge swing in Atlanta's favor that kind of saved them in this game. The third quarter was just an absolute domination. It was 32-10. to 10 in favor of Atlanta, the 10 being almost almost as important as the 32. Um, the Hawks scored the first 12 points of the second half. So they went from down 23 to up four in about 10 minutes of clock time. Like it was crazy. That kind of huge run it was a 41 to 14 push. Um, the Knicks missed their first six shots in the second half, three turnovers for Atlanta, sorry, for New York. And they didn't score for about four and a half minutes out of the gate in the second half. Trey got hit in the face though by Julius Randle, uh, arm flail basically after a pass i don't think it was intentional by randall maybe it was i don't think it was but trey went to the locker room after going down hard and had a towel over his face there was no official review i'm not sure what they would have found obviously you know randall did hit him in the face but it was like a follow-through from a pass i'm not really sure what, what, what the ruling is there but trey was uh, pretty quickly ruled as questionable to return with what the hawks were calling a left eye contusion once he came back to the bench in the fourth quarter, it was very obvious that he had uh, some swelling in the eye. Um, I'm sure it's going to bug him for a little while. And he had the protective glasses on when he came back to the bench. 
But he came back in the fourth quarter, and within a few minutes from there, the Hawks announced that he was at least available to come back in the game. He ended up coming back in in the fourth quarter. Um, so that was at least a positive. It could have been worse, obviously, for Trey. Um, we'll have updates on that, I'm sure, as we get later on in the week. But nothing really to be said beyond the fact that he was out for basically a whole quarter of action. So they're looking for, like, why Trey didn't play as many minutes in this game. That was why he basically missed, like, 10, 12 minutes of, of clock time. They brought Aaron Holiday in to kind of plug the gap there. That worked out very well. He was much better in the second half in the first half as for, uh, as, as for Aaron Holiday. I thought John Collins was excellent in the third quarter. He kind of just outworked and outplayed Julius Randle in that period. He had a great offensive rebound against Randle at one point. He just kind of you know sealed him off for a layup. He was very active on both ends of the floor. It was good to see from him. The Knicks had six points in the first 10 minutes of the third, ended up with only 10, as I mentioned a second ago, in the entire period. Justin Holiday had a big three in the corner. That was nice to see. And the Hawks were creating havoc defensively. A lot of that was Murray for sure, but the Knicks had seven turnovers in the first eight minutes of the half. The Hawks had 11 steals in the first 30 minutes of the game. They were It's not what the Hawks always do, but Murray really does add a lot in that area. And then after the strong start to the half, um, the third quarter was ended with an 18-4 run as well. So they wanted a 12-0 run to open the half and then an 18-4 at the end of the quarter. 32-10, they forced nine turnovers in the third quarter. They didn't even shoot very well. That was the kind of thing about the Hawks the entire game here. To have the Hawks win this game on, by 13 on the road, they didn't shoot well really for most of the game, but they had five offensive five rebounds in, this, in the third quarter. They had eight assists and one turnover. And if you get extra chances and don't turn the ball over, that's a good recipe for offense. And through three quarters, Murray had 31 points, eight assists, and five steals. That would have been a great game for him, and he only did it in three quarters. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't academic from there. The Hawks did have to kind of close things out in the fourth. They ended up losing the fourth quarter, actually, by one point. But it was most of the work was done in the basically the 18 minutes between the middle of the second quarter and the entire third quarter. The Hawks were just absolutely dominant in that stretch. Um, in the fourth, as I mentioned before once, the Hawks had to finally go for the first time all season – with a non-garbage time lineup that featured neither Trey nor DeJounte because they couldn't really ask Murray to play the entire second half and, and Trey was still in the locker room. So they went to the holidays together, Aaron at the point, with Hunter, Jalen Johnson, and Okongwu. So basically Hunter in place of Murray with that traditional fourth quarter starting lineup. Um, Hunter was actually pretty good, I thought, in the second half. Um, for the most part, that was good to see from him. And he was quite, they kind of ran a lot more through him without Murray on the floor. Um, they were minus four, I will say, in that push. Which is not good. Like it's like a five-minute stretch with minus four. Like it's pretty good. It's pretty bad, actually, generally speaking. But in that circumstance, only having to lose it, that four points there with nobody to create offense on the floor, that was probably a small win. And in fact, they actually started out pretty well there. And that, that uh, I know I talked about their run a few different times, but the extended run, the highest that actually reached was a 67-26 extended run from the Hawks when they went up by 18 points in the fourth. Trey came back in with about seven minutes to go, up by 10. So it was not over by any means when he came back in the game. But immediately, um, oh, by the way, I should mention this before I before I go off of the uh, off of that stretch without him. Aaron Holiday had this incredibly impressive highlight chase down block on Obi Toppin, who is like a center sized human being. That was funny to see. But um, yeah, once Aaron came out and Trey came back in, it was an immediate eight zero run to put the game away. Trey had a nice, uh, really a beautiful pass to Capella on a lob, a nice catch by Clint as well to, to catch that one and finish it on the next possession. Hunter hits a three. Next possession. Murray hits a three for his new career high in scoring, and the Hawks are up by 18 with five minutes to go. And that was basically the, uh, I guess, exclamation point for the night. It was basically putting the game away at that stage. Um, the starters kind of probably played a little bit a little bit too long, honestly, down the stretch, but it was not academic. So Nate kind of stuck with his guys until most mostly to the very end of the game, and uh, that was the end of that. So big picture, a lot to get to here. Obviously, 
sort of a tail, not only not really a tail of two halves, like a tail of the first 17 minutes and the last 31 for the Hawks. Um, for the whole game, though, a 113 offensive rating. That's not like special, um, but it's totally fine in a road game against the Knicks who play decent defense. And they were quite good in the last 30 minutes. Like I said, they were 9 of 37 from the floor at one point in this game and still managed to post a basically an average offensive game. They had nine turnovers in the entire game, only one in the second half. That's a huge thing for this Hawks team, especially after the stark contrast of Monday when they just could not take care of the ball against, against Toronto. They got back to their roots, and the Hawks, for a reason, have led the league the last two years in turnovers, and that was definitely the case here. They also clearly won the offensive glass, uh, really both sides of the glass in this one. They had a 35% offensive rebound rate in this game. That was really good to see. It was kind of everybody, too, was like there was one guy. Collins had five offensive rebounds. Clint had four. Conway had three. They got one each from Hunter and Trey and Tyrese Martin also off the bench, and then Jalen Johnson and Aaron Holiday. So it was a gang rebound kind of thing from the Hawks, which is really good to see. They were really effective on the glass here, and that was one of the points of concern as well, is that the Knicks do very well on the offensive glass, and they weren't bad there, but the Hawks – generated more possessions than the Knicks did. Um, and also, they only shot 41% from the floor and 35% from three. But they took 16 more shot attempts than the Knicks and only four fewer free throws. So uh, I, I know I, I sort of make this point a lot if you're a longtime listener to the podcast. But sometimes you can look at the possession battle and just how many shots a team takes. And that actually can be instructive. Now, percentages are helpful as well. And the Hawks, again, did not shoot very well in this game. In fact, our friends at Cleaning the Glass – um, do the effective field goal percentage uh, sort of uh, percentile. And the Hawks were a 19th percentile shooting team on this night. That's terrible. Like, again, bottom 20 percentile in the league. And they won this game by 13 points because they dominated the turnover battle and they won, and they won the offensive glass. And they didn't foul and they played good defense. So they also, in sort of a transition here to the defense, they had 26 fast, break point, 26 fast break points. That's actually a league-leading kind of total for a game, so that's pretty impressive. And it's because they got a lot of stops. They had a 99 defensive rating. That's very good. They created 17 turnovers, 10 in the second half, and they scored 26 points off those turnovers. They had 12 steals, so those are all live ball. That's really impressive from Atlanta. A lot of that was Murray creating havoc, but it, was, it wasn't only Murray. He was definitely a big part of it. And uh, here's the other thing that was crazy. I said, I, said, I said it earlier in the show about the Hawks' awful start from a shooting perspective. The Knicks had their start, had their awful shooting in the second half. They were 13 of 44 from the floor. That's terrible. And two of 20 from three in the second half. So credit the Hawks for contesting shots. But uh, anytime a team shoots that badly in the NBA, it's also their fault as well. It's not always that only the defense. It's the same thing in the first half. The Knicks did contest shots at a pretty high level in that first half. The Hawks just missed a ton of them. So uh, definitely some weirdness there. But um, good job by the Hawks again, preventing free throws, winning the glass, turning the ball over, et cetera, and uh, they won this game on the margin. They did not shoot well. In fact, these two teams, for the full game, shot very similarly. In fact, cleaning the glass again, the Hawks had a 47% effective field goal percentage in this game. That's terrible. The Knicks were 46.7%. So the Hawks had a very, very narrow shooting advantage in this one, and they still managed to win this game by 13 points because they did everything else better than the Knicks did. So anyway, we'll have more on the individual stuff, which is, of course, headlined by DeJounte Murray and his career best effort because he was really, really good in this one. We'll have more of that in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. All right. The bench was not necessarily awesome in this one, but they were better in the second half for sure. 
And uh, we'll go through the guys who actually played real minutes. AJ Griffin was um, a plus nine in his nine minutes of action. A couple of those were garbage time at the very end of the game. Um, he didn't actually score. He was actually 0-1 from the floor in his first stint. He, he had he had three points. He, the one three that he hit was very, very late and uh, was kind of meaningless. But I made this note on Twitter. It's pretty impressive if you watch the tape back to see how he's already being guarded. And I don't want to overstate it either, but the offense just flows better with Griffin on the floor because he can spot out to 18, sorry, to 28, 29 feet and get guarded all the way out there. He gets more respect right now as a shooter than really anybody on the team other than Trey. Like he gets a ton of juice and they should. He's a great shooter already. So that does matter. And I think I would like to see him play more on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, in the first half, I thought the holidays and really Aaron in particular was like really struggling. And maybe I want to see more of Griffin. They were better in the second half, but certainly uh, you could definitely see the trade off because uh, AJ, as rookies do, has struggled defensively. I've actually looked, I thought he looked pretty good in the preseason early on and maybe a couple of times when he first came in the game. He's showing more now of his rookiness on defense. That's okay because his offense is going to be really impressive and he's so young that I'm not worried about defense long term necessarily. But um, it's a trade off. I do think that there's pretty obvious like benefits to playing Griffin and we'll see if they do that more often. But he played nine minutes in this one, including some real minutes in the first half. Um, Okongwu was relatively quiet, had four points in 19 minutes, but had seven rebounds, uh, an assist, and a steal. I thought he played well. He wasn't like popping off the screen necessarily, but I thought he did his job for the most part in this game. Um, Justin Holiday was bad in the first half, better in the second half, made a, made a clutch three, played better defense, had two assists, had a rebound, um, was minus 11. Um, in fact, the Holidays were the two worst plus minuses on the team, and that probably tracks they were so bad in the first half that i'm not even going to try to dismiss it but i thought justin got it back a little bit same with aaron i think aaron if you just watch the second half you're like wait he played great first half he's terrible honestly but the second half three assists he had eight he had eight points he had, he had that huge block on top and um and they were better as a team with those guys playing and by the way aaron had to kind of play like starters minutes in the second half because he had to come in for trey so early had to lead that second unit in the fourth quarter so a different role for him after halftime because trey was out and maybe more uh, comfortable in that role in some ways. So the bench was not great on the whole. Uh, again, oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't forget Jalen Johnson. Jalen did not score in 12 minutes, had four rebounds, um, one steal. He was kind of a non-factor, and then defensively it was an adventure. Like There's going to be lots of good nights and maybe some shakier nights, I think, from Jalen Johnson. Defensively, it's really an adventure at this point. And it's not a game where he really had any flow in offense. And if he's not going to have any flow in offense, he's kind of tough to play. And we saw that in this game. He only played 12 minutes. And uh, that was not a coincidence, I don't think. He was probably their worst player in this one um, that played anyway. Uh, to the starters, the guy who played the least was Capella because they tried uh, that Collins at center um, look in the first half. I thought Capella got better as the game went along. He had a brutal first quarter, as the entire team did, but especially Clint. Um, and I've obviously higher on Clint than most, but he was like visibly bad in that first quarter on offense in particular. He was 0 for 4 on the layups in the first quarter. Like, I know he's going to have some finishing challenges, but the one on the put, on the putback was like comical, and he just had no juice. I thought after that he looked like himself and looked pretty good, but uh, that's not like excusing it. He was really bad in that first quarter. Um, had eight eight points, ten rebounds, had a steal. Um, was pretty good after that, but like it wasn't like he was blowing anybody away necessarily in this matchup. I think defensively he tightened up a lot though in the second half and was his usual anchor self. Um, DeAndre Hunter had a good second half, still not enough rebounding or passing from DeAndre Hunter. Um, my friend Tower Jones has been on this podcast many times, made this point during the game. DeAndre Hunter is not someone who throws the extra pass, really ever. And uh, that's not going to change, I don't think, anytime, anytime soon. He had one assist in this game, three rebounds, 
but he did take 21 shots, took up a lot of usage in the second half when they kind of they kind of had to have him do that. He wasn't efficient. Like he had 21 points on 22 shooting possessions. That's not really very good, but he was better in the second half. Had a steal and a block, so it wasn't like he was bad either. Just kind of had some Hunter-like moments. And uh, they get to the rim a few times in the second half, which is good to see. Uh, Collins, same sort of story. He was better in the second half than the first, like most guys were. But 12 points, 13 rebounds, had a steal and a block, had two assists, uh, plus 14 in his 31 minutes. Um like a B game for him, Collins. He wasn't like fantastic, but I thought he really played well and like really, really outplayed Randall after halftime. Um, Trey, it was a weird game. The first quarter, he was just like unbelievably bad, like two of 12 on the floor. And he, like I said before, he missed eight shots in four minutes at the end of the quarter. Um, he was good in the second quarter and he was good in the fourth quarter. Um, still a rough efficiency game for Trey, who's well below, by the way, his usual efficiency this season. He came into the night with 54% true shooting, which is not terrible, but it's well below his norm. And that's going to fall after this game. He had 17 points on 23 shooting possessions. So that's actually way below his normal average. Did have seven assists and one turnover. That's good to see after he made 10 turnovers on Monday. Uh, He was better on the whole than he was in that game against the Raptors. But um, I think he's still due for some positive regression as a shooter. And uh, the fact that he went 5 of 15 on twos in this game is uh, not necessarily something that I'm going to worry about a whole lot, but it's notable as to why the Hawks were struggling a little bit more. And then lastly, DeJounte Murray, who was truly brilliant in this game. Like if you want to have the epitome, the example, however you want to say that of why the Hawks wanted DeJounte Murray, it was this. I've already seen tweets from DeJounte and Trey. Uh, Trey said something about how this is why they brought him in. Um, it's it really is it really is true. Like in the first half in previous years, with Trey playing the way he was in that first quarter, the Hawks would have just been dead to rights on offense. They would have been like Murray single handedly, really in the second quarter for about a five minute stretch, keyed him. They were down twenty three. I think he scored like nine of the next eleven points, three threes. Like he's not he's not this great shooter, but he took twelve threes in this game. Like he was very much feeling it. He was aggressive. He was hunting his own shot. He was nine of fifteen on twos. Um, the six steals speak for themselves. Like he was creating absolute havoc on the perimeter. A career high thirty six points. It was a little bit weird to me. I didn't know this until I looked it up during the game. Um, Dejounte's career high was thirty three points. That seems very low for a player who was an all-star last season and averaged like 21 a game. Like normally if you average 21 a game and a big sample size and you're the number one option on your team, you just kind of stumble into a 35-point game at some point. But it's kind of like maybe it's kind of like Collins who just like has this glass ceiling of scoring. But uh, yeah, he, he surpassed it in this one. Murray had 36 points. He was, he was a game best plus 26. That's one of the uh, times when plus minus actually does tell the story. He doesn't always do that, but he was by far, and I mean by far, the best player on the floor in this game. Not even close. Uh, he was dominant. He had nine assists. Four rebounds, had a block. Um, free turnovers is totally fine for the guy who had just like he did in this game. So I don't want to like overstate it. It's not going to like – I saw some takes like how this is his team now. I wouldn't go that far. Trey's still their best player. But in this game, he was their best player. Murray was, and he was awesome. And this is one of those things like I'm sure Travis Schlenk was smiling broadly about bringing in this guy after this particular night because DeJounte Murray won in this game. He wasn't like the only guy who played well at any point, but he really was by far the standout and uh, this is sort of the DeJounte Murray game to this point through eight games. It was definitely a career best in some ways. I, I will, Unlike guys like Trey and DeAndre Hunter and John Collins, who I have literally seen every minute of their career, I can't say that about DeJounte Murray. He played with the Spurs. I saw him play a bunch, but he was not like a guy I was covering every, every single day. So I can't say for sure this is the best game of his career, but it looks like it might have been. I mean, the numbers and uh, the way that all kind of went, the way he kind of won it for them, uh, definitely wanted to write home about it for DeJounte Murray. So a big one for him. One more stat there on DeJounte from Hawks PR. Um, he's only the third Hawk ever to have 35 points, five assists, and five steals in the game. He joins Dominique Wilkins, unsurprisingly, and John Drew, who was like an all-star level player in his day. So that's a pretty exclusive list. And uh, yeah, Justin Murray, he was awesome in this one. 
So from here, the Hawks finished the road trip three and two, and you kind of have to take that. Now the loss on Monday in Toronto was not any fun for anybody. The loss in Milwaukee was like one of those nights. It's fine. So big picture. And I try to be level about this stuff. If you told me going into the trip, the Hawks would go three and two, you have to say yes to that. You just do because, you know, at tip off, the Hawks were underdogs in three of the five games. Uh, they were favored in Detroit both times. They swept that series, but they were underdogs in this game. And the other two, and the two games they lost, they were underdogs. So like with that, with that sort of background information, going three and two on a five game road trip is a pretty big win. Um, they should have been more than four and one probably in that homestand with the bad loss to Charlotte. But even then, like I think five and three is a totally reasonable performance through, through eight games. They come home now. They have two days off, by the way, Thursday and Friday. They are off before they return. Finally, Stay from Arena for the first time in two weeks on Saturday against the Pelicans. That's going to be a very interesting game uh, as the Pelicans are a good basketball team, let's just say. Um, the Pelicans like are looking like they're going to be a real playoff contender. In fact, they're playing right now against the Lakers, so I don't know what their record's going to be, but they're 4-2 and two as I say this, um, so we'll see how they look. But that's the team that's definitely loaded. We saw them in Birmingham in person in the preseason as well, and they played their guys except for Zion in that, in that game a lot. So interesting kind of test for the Hawks on Saturday. I am planning to have a podcast between now and then, so I'm not going to do a full Pelicans preview right now, but that'll be a nice test at home. And uh, a lot of times it's kind of hard for teams to come back from a five-game road trip and also get up for that first game. In the Budenholzer era, the Hawks kind of famously struggled with that. So we'll see if they're, if they're up for that one. But it should be a good crowd Saturday night, Pelicans in town, et cetera, uh, Zion in town. I'm sure there'll be a lot of attention on him as a relatively local product in South Carolina, et cetera. So that'll be a lot of fun. But anyway, a nice win for the Hawks here, even though it looked very dire. Um, I will not say this more, more than I probably should, but there were some very, very funny angry reactionary tweets in the first half that probably look a little bit silly right now. My mentions were full and that's what happens. I mean, the Hawks were so bad in the first half. It's like hard to blame anybody. There were lots of people trying to fight, fight Nate McMillan in the first half. Um, there was a, a, lots of meltdown stuff in the first half and they come back and win. It's kind of funny at the end of the day, but uh, certainly a tale of two different games in this one. The Hawks were brutal for 17 minutes and they played really well for, thir- for the last 31. And uh, the end result was a nice road win. So that's it for me on this podcast and for this game. Please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice. If you want to help the podcast the most possible, what you can do is to subscribe and download the episodes across multiple channels. You can do it on YouTube by subscribing there and watching and letting it run in the background if you don't want to watch it necessarily live. If you want to game system and download old episodes on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean or anywhere that you like listen to podcasts, Overcast, all those places would definitely take all the support we can get. But uh, also spread the word about the podcast. If you know a Hawks fan in your life that is not listening to the show, share it with them. We'll see if they enjoy the podcast. Also follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. We'll see you later on in the week.